Welcome to the Rancho Cordova podcast. My name is Charles Lego, and I'm your host. Before we start today's episode, we want to make an exciting announcement. If you've ever wondered how we record these episodes, where we record them, what our studios look like, well, starting with today's episode, you can simply go to our YouTube channel at the Rancho Cordova podcast and take a look. Every week going on from here, we will have cameras in our studios and we will record each episode. So now you can listen to these podcasts wherever you listen to your podcasts or you can watch us on YouTube by typing in The Rancho Cordova Podcast. I hope you enjoyed today's episodes and don't forget to tune into YouTube. So welcome to the Rancho Cordova podcast brought to you by the California Capital Film Office. My name is Charles Lego and I'm your host. Today we're delighted to be here with the new elected Sacramento Sheriff, uh, Jim Cooper. Yeah, from 1988 to 93 I bought drugs every single night wow. of my career all over Sacramento, um, in the city. Um, we went down to San Francisco. Was it, we Obviously, with, with some things, we wanted to work our way up to the higher level dealers. So I'm driving down in San Francisco, and I've got $32,000 in cash in the trunk of my car, and we're buying two kilos of cocaine. Sheriff Cooper, thank you so much for making the time for this. Uh, good, good morning, and thank you for having me. I know you're very busy, and I truly appreciate it. And it's especially an honor to have you on the Rancho Cordova podcast, because I know you have roots here in Rancho Cordova. I believe you grew up here and you went to high school here. Absolutely, I, I lived here from the time I was a year old. Um, I went to elementary, junior high, and high school here. Right. And I lived probably about a mile away from here. You did, well yes. we're gonna get into the whole Rancho history shortly. But let's start off by asking, what does the job of sheriff of a county that covers 700 square miles, close to two million people live in the county, and employs 1,200 sworn officers, and has 600 support staff, so it's a big organization, what does that job entail, and how would you describe your job? It's a big job. Number one, you're the chief law enforcement officer for Sacramento County. Um, you're tasked with maintaining the jails uh, by state law, uh, the courts. We have a work release program. We register sex offenders. We do the civil process. Uh, we have patrol functions, and along with patrol comes boats, uh, helicopters, airplanes, uh, a lot. So a very busy department. So it's a huge organization. And it's a huge county. And really the sheriff impacts every voter, even if you live in the cities within the county. And what are the various, you touched on a few, but what are the various areas of responsibility of the sheriff's department in Sacramento? So you have the jails and the, what, what sure. do you in, in, cover? Enfor enforcing the laws, investigations. Obviously we have a, a homicide unit, burglary, robbery, gangs, um, child abuse, elder abuse, so in Sacramento's a suburban county. Um, a lot of counties up north of your rural counties, but we're very suburban and a very large population, so it's extremely busy. And you cover the, you have two jails, right? Sacramento and Elk Grove? Correct, we've probably got about 2,300 inmates total between the two jails. Between the two? And then how many courts? Oh wow, we, we maintain all the courts and they're a lot. Oh yeah, even in Sac in the city of Sacramento. Yes. Yeah, so, oh, yeah, so we, you we, do all the courts. All the courts. We provide security. Okay. And we transport the inmates to and from the jails to court. So yeah, it is definitely a big job. It is. Yeah. And of course, here in Rancho Cordova, the city contracts um, with the Sacramento Sheriff's Office for their policing needs. We've had Chief Brandon Luke on this podcast, and I have to say, I found him a very impressive person, a very impressive leader, with a great department. And the officers who have a great reputation here, by the way, I don't know if you know, but the police department in Rancho has a very good reputation. Are you involved in any way with the policing issues in this city, or do you leave it all to Chief Luke? Uh, he, mainly, he mainly runs it. And yeah. one thing about Chief Luke, he was handpicked by the city of Rancho Cordova he to was? be their police chief, yes, okay, by the city. I didn't know that. And then the officers that come here to Rancho Cordova are handpicked. So really, um, you have uh, the cream of the crop that, that comes out here. And it's a contract. We want to provide a great service. So we're, we're very grateful for Rancho Cordova allowing us to provide that contract. And with any contract or service, you want to make sure you give it um, the best service you can. Right. So, and not only do they not um, get, um, well, they have a lot of 
ancillary items that come with it. Obviously, we have a gang unit that's very robust, um, very experienced, a homicide unit, and things like that are very helpful. Because if you think about it, for a small city, a smaller city, to have a full-time homicide unit and have them that are trained through those repetitions, unfortunately, and doing the investigations, it'd be difficult to maintain that versus they rely upon the sheriff's department for some of those resources. But if uh, there was a homicide here in Rancho, which there has been a couple, yes. so the um, they don't have their own unit here, right? It would be the sheriff's office that comes. Right. At la- the, you know, the larger sheriff's office. Right, and there's really no need to maintain a full-time no. homicide unit right. because um, they don't have that many. But when it comes time to investigate that homicide, right. then you those homicide detectives are extremely well-trained. Right. So, so it's been a good issue. It's, it's beneficial for the sheriff's department. We value the contract. I think it also benefits Rancho Cordova. Right. So it's kind of the best of both worlds. Yeah. Um, what is a typical day for a sheriff of a large department like Sacramento? So what does a day look like for Sheriff Cooper? What's a typical day for you? A lot of meetings. A lot, lot of, of meetings, meetings. A lot of phone calls. Um, well, what time does your day start? Uh, it can start at 7 in the morning. Sometimes it starts at 8 or 9. It just depends on what's going on yeah. and, and how big the schedule is. Um, tours. You, you go, yesterday I went down to the main jail. On, on, my, on a Monday, a holiday, just to go down and talk with staff and see what's going on because you want to have your finger on the pulse. Right. And sometimes it's good to see things with your own eyes. Right. And it's important to get around. And let the troops know you care about them yeah. and that you're concerned what's going on, but also make sure that we're doing what we need to be doing and delivering the proper service. So I know prior to your political career, which we'll get into in a minute, which is an impressive political career, you were a sheriff's deputy for 30 years? Yeah, and I, I retired as a captain, actually. Yeah, and you attained the rank of captain. So when you were in the sh- in the Sacramento Sheriff? Yes. Yeah. So did you have aspirations back then to the job that you're doing today, to be the sheriff? Did you think about it back then? Back One day, then, I'm going to be the sheriff. No, back then, no. I was having a great time um, being, a, being a cop. Yeah. You know, going out and uh, trying to make a difference. I really enjoyed that. It's um, probably one of the best jobs I ever had. Yeah. And what is the biggest issue facing the sheriff's department today? Um, homelessness. Yeah. Homelessness is a big issue. Um, gun violence is a big issue. Recruitment. We're hiring. I need more sheriff's deputies. Right. We're down um, close to 100 vacancies and probably about 100 non-sworn are our civilian staff. Um, so it's tough. And those are three things that we're going to talk about um, in a second. But on this podcast, we have a tradition that we get to know who we're interviewing. We like to get to know them. And I think we, uh, we've gotten feedback from listeners. They really like to, to know. So if you don't mind, tell us where were you born? Tell us about your parents and what was life growing up for you, <laughs> for Jim Cooper. Okay. So actually, I was born in France. My parents were in from France? Chi- yes. You were? Verdun. Um, my parents were from Chicago. My dad joined the Air Force to get out. And, and that was his way out to get out and hopefully be successful. Um, so uh, my sister was born in Okinawa. I had one born in Texas. My wow. dad was assigned to, to France, to an air, air base there, Etain Air Base. And I was about a year old, and he got his transfer orders because in the, in the military, every two or three years, you move in the military. So um, Mather was one of the bases he chose, and fortunately, uh, we came here. And this is in 1965. So he worked at the at the Mather base. Mather. So he my did. brother, my brother Kevin was born here. He was in Sacramento. Yeah. Yes. He got he got gypped out. Wow. We like to say he didn't get. Uh, he wasn't born somewhere else. So um, we're here. We're settled in. We're living on base, and then eventually we moved off base. Um, so my parents bought a house on Malaga Way, um, which is near Folsom and Coloma, right behind the old Rayleys. It's something else now. Um, so I, I grew up Folsom to, and Coloma. Folsom and Coloma. Yeah. There was a Rayleigh's there. there? There used to be a Rayleigh's there. Yes. Did? Yes. So um, went to Cordova Gardens Elementary, Mills Junior High, and Cordova. So wow. all three within walking distance. And, and then, then you it, went to Rancho High. Cordova High School. I mean, I'm sorry, Cordova yeah. High. Don't, yeah, don't say Rancho High. That's, no, no, no. That's no. like that's that's for Botten. No, no, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I've been told. <laughs> Cordova High. Um, they have a great history of sports there. Um, a lot of sports people have come out of there. Were you involved in any sports there? I, I was. Uh, I was okay. I was a decent athlete, not good. My brother was good. He got a football scholarship to Columbia University. But back then, Cordova was the dominant team uh, in Northern California, if not the nation. Um, they dominated in football, a very, very well-known program. And I think some of that had to do with the military kids who went there um, because obviously there was a great deal of discipline. They had amazing coaches and um, I can say without a doubt, 
those coaches helped shaped me into the person that I am today. And then after after high school, was there college or did you go straight into the police department? It was actually I've college. calculated your career <laughs> and you must have started the police fairly young. So actually, so I, I graduated high school. I, I started attending American River College. I'm trying to get my general ed out of the way. And I'm working at Sacramento 6 Drive-In, which is real close to here. Yeah, yeah. Bradshaw Bradshaw 50. You did? Yes. I, I, I started there my senior year of you high know, I've school. I've never been there. What did you do there? You've never been to the drive-in? I have not. Oh, my God. I know. You have to go to the drive-in. I do. I do. Because so, uh, they don't have them in England, drive-ins. That's no, an American very, thing. There are very few, but they're, they're amazing, though. So um, it's, it's, I, I graduate in June of 1982, so it's January. I get a job there and start working. So the drive-in, we used to make sure we got the cars in. We would direct traffic and get the cars in. And then, of course, you know, if you came in by yourself, they would write your license number down. Because many people, not very few, come to the drive-in by themselves. Because usually they're sneaking someone in the trunk. You mean, or they oh, had someone hop the fence. They did. So we would go out there and obviously find more than one person in the car, and, and we would make them leave. So you pay by the car or you pay by the people? By the person. Oh, okay. By the person, yeah. Wow, so and people sneak in? Sneak in carloads. Sometimes they would, they would hide in the trunk or hop the fence. And what was ironic, people would come to drive-in in the rain and sometimes the fog. And, um, you know, you're running your windshield wipers for the movie the entire time. Your battery's dead at the end of the night. And then some people would come to the drive-in to do the hanky-panky. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> You know what so that is, right? I sure do. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you, um, so you were a, a cop then, really? I so, mean, you were the driving cop. No, but, but what happened, so I was in college do, doing that, and they had um, off-duty deputy sheriffs that worked there in uniform on the weekends. Because it got rowdy sometimes yeah. at the drive-in and stuff. Oh, it did. And I had never been around any anybody in law enforcement. And I got to know some of these officers. And I really liked how they were. And they suggested I take the test. Yeah. So I didn't really know what I wanted to do besides go to college. So um, I take the test. I'm, I'm 19 years old still. Um, so I turned 20 in January of 1984. And then a, a month later on Valentine's Day of 1984, I started the academy. Oh, okay. So you joined at 20. Yes. Okay. So you went from high school, in essence, straight into the police department. Yeah, I, I had yeah, I had roughly a year of college. So yeah. growing up, was law enforcement even in your head? No, not no. at all. Did what was what was in your head? What were you going to be when you grew up? I had no idea. No, other than I need to go not to college. Not military. I, I thought about that, but I knew I wanted to do college at least. Um. So you were 20 in the academy. So can you give us a rundown of your law enforcement career? Chief so, Luke gave it to us, and it's actually very interesting. When you have someone in front of you who's been in the, in the police department for 25, 30 years, it's very interesting to hear the progression of how they get to. So give us a rundown of your career. Sure. Um, so I, I graduated the academy in uh, September of 1984. Um, so back then they only hired they had they hired every every few years every two or three years they do a list so I got hired as a permanent part time employee um, so I started working for the sheriff's department went to the courthouse and worked courts so I was anxious to get out and be a cop I wanted to be on the streets right. I didn't want to work the courts so um, in the meantime Stockton PD was hiring so I applied for Stockton PD okay I get hired there and I leave Sacramento oh I live okay. in Stockton I go and work about a year and a half. As a patrol officer, had a had a great time. It was it was fun, um, and then my name came up on the list here in Sacramento to get hired full time for the sheriff's department. So they offered me a full time job, and it was tough to leave to leave Stockton because I was enjoying myself. But my family and were you was, living there? I was living there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My family was here. I was from here, and I, I always wanted to work for the sheriff's department. So I, I came back here in 1986. I, I did uh, about a year and a half in the jail, the downtown main jail, the old jail, yeah. where um, you worked. there was no air conditioning, and you worked on a floor by yourself with 150 inmates. So you're like almost in jail yourself. Yeah, yeah. But, but it, for these young officers today, these young deputies, um, it's like night and day. They, right. uh, I don't think some of them will make it back in the old days, right. as, I, as I call it. So uh, during this time, this is 87, um, crack cocaine is real big, the crack cocaine epidemic, uh, the Bloods and Crips. A lot of drive-by shootings, and here or in Stockton? Here, here in Sacramento. Yeah, okay. yeah. really statewide, nationwide. So uh, then, Cl Sheriff Glenn Craig says, "Hey, I, I need to make a narcotics team to deal with these issues." So they and they already had a narcotics team. 
but they wanted a, a diverse narcotics team. So they picked five of us, um, four men and, and one lady. And uh, so it was me, another African-American uh, uh, detective, a, a Hispanic detective, a, a Filipina, wow. Filipino woman. There's a movie and a, and right a, there. Yeah, and an East Indian woman. Yeah, 21 yeah. Jump Street. Yeah, yeah, better. that's a movie right so there. So our job was to go out and buy drugs undercover every night. So for five years, from 1988, yeah, from 1988 to 93, I bought drugs every single night wow. of my career, all over Sacramento, um, in the city. Um, we went down to San Francisco. Was it, we obviously with with some things we wanted to work our way up to the higher level dealers. So I'm driving down in San Francisco, and I've got thirty-two thousand dollars in cash in the trunk of my car, and we're buying two kilos of cocaine. So I'm working with a detective named Bob Reisdorf. I'm the flash man. I'm gonna pull up. I'm gonna I'm gonna flash the money in the trunk of the car. <clears throat> got to go to L.A. And, and, and work on some drug deals, but really most of it was street level. Um, drug deals yeah that's what it was that was a target that's what was um, bothering our neighborhoods and the reason was you would have these gang members just park in front of someone's house and start selling dope on a street and it would it would cause the neighbors a great deal of angst so it kept going on and on and on and on and on and uh, what was ironic though was um, there was someone that I went to high school with he was an athlete he got a full-ride scholarship to a Pac-12 school amazing athlete but he got caught up in drugs. So one night we're at a house on uh, West Loma, actually a, a, an apartment, and he comes there to buy drugs. And, and you uh, knew him? I knew him. And he knew you? But I had my hat pulled down and this guy kind of disguised my voice and uh, we ended up arresting him. And I, I ran into several people I went to school with and grew up with who ended up arresting that got involved with the drugs. Um, so, so I did that until 1994. Um, or actually 93 and I would had a, five years of buying drugs so I was I was over buying drugs and I went to the gang unit and uh, started chasing gangsters kind of same clientele right. and, and so during this time the public was fast but in that time you're not known I mean you're buying drugs from people yeah. you're obviously arresting them presumably you're going to court right to give right. evidence yeah and you, you don't get known well they, they they know the name Cooper but it's like hey watch out for Cooper he's a black guy right that's kind of you know, generic, so it's really hard. So, um, but I, I had I had a great time doing that, and um, then I went to the, I went and worked gangs, kind of the same clientele, but going out and, and 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 chasing gang members every night, and so I did a lot of media stories then because the public was fascinated by the drug trade and the gang culture, right. and um, so that worked out pretty good. And then John McGinnis was our spokesman at the time, so I started filling in for him every every once in a while to give him a break. I promoted a sergeant, so I was a sergeant now. Spokesman like a PIO? PIO, yes. Yeah. So I was a sergeant in charge of the gang unit. So John McGinnis uh, leaves and goes to homicide, and Sheriff Glenn Craig taps me to be the department PIO or spokesperson. Um, so I move into that role as a, as a sergeant, and when you're the PIO, you go to every crime that happens in the right. county. So I would imagine that's where your political aspirations maybe came in then, because you have to be a little political, no? Yeah, to and, be and a PIO. And, and actually, one thing with, with the sheriff, I mean, the sheriff's elected official. So you work for a sheriff, he's a lot of autonomy. So you're around him and you're in on the decision making process. So it kind of gave me a taste of, of what it's like. Um, so, so I do that. I'm, I'm the PIO. Um, it's busy. Back then, we were probably averaging about 54 homicides a year. So all the time, you're getting called out. It's three in the morning, your phone rings, we have a homicide. Get up, get dressed, and you go. So a lot for of every homicide, every homicide. You Why? Win. Why do they need a PIO? Because you go and you're responding. You're putting out a press release. Oh, okay. On all the homicides. I see. And it was. And, and that's the then, same today. Uh, it's a little different today because back then we went to everything, regardless, and the media really covered it. And some of the we called them stringers, freelancers that covered stories. So I was just always out there all the time, right. and um, it, I, I loved it. I loved doing that job. But you know, once again, you're four years into that, so I, I take the lieutenant's test. And I promote, so I become a lieutenant, and I do that for a little bit as a PIO, and then I knew it was time to move on and do something else. So um, became a lieutenant, uh, worked a variety of assignments, and this is about in 2000 now. So um, I'm living in Elk Grove. Elk Grove goes on the ballot to become a city, just like Rancho Cordova right, did in Citrus right. Heights before. So um, I go ahead, because I'd worked for a sheriff, I kind of had an idea about politics. 
And, you know, sometimes you're around elected officials and you're listening to some of the decisions they've made, they were making. I'm, sometimes you agreed, sometimes you disagreed. I'm like, I think I can do that job. And part of that was probably because if, when you're narcotics and you're buying dope, you think you can do anything. Right. <laughs> Not that you're right, but you right. think you can do anything. So anyways, uh, I, I, I put my name on the ballot with 26 others. So For city council. For city council. So the first vote is whether the people want to incorporate and become a city, which the voters did. So 26 of us had our names in for city council. I was the number one vote getter. So I was the first mayor of um, – yeah, we're going to get to your voting records, oh. <laughs> which is, I looked it up yesterday, right. and I'm going to, I don't know, you, you you probably do know, but maybe you've forgotten um, the the how you win. I voted uh, on probably like 9,000 or, or probably 12,000 bills. Yeah. So, yeah. So, anyways, I, I'm in Elk Grove. So, right when I when I got elected to Elk Grove, I was 15 years into my sheriff's career. So, for the, for the next 15 years, I spent on the city council. You did both? Yeah, so I did both simultaneously. 30 years in the sheriff's department, 15 on city council. Because city council... They how did you juggle that with your job, though? Because my job was day shift in the sheriff's department. I was oh, a manager. Okay. And the city council, you only met, you met yeah, on, the, yeah. on the second and fourth Friday of every wow. month at 6 p.m. Okay. And then I was on local boards and commissions, so I would take a couple of hours off on vacation to attend some of those meetings. So I, I balanced both jobs. And then you became mayor. And I became I was mayor three times, yeah. Three times. Yeah. And then you retire from the police department. So I'm still doing both jobs. So you become a captain. Yeah, I'm, I'm a captain. I promote to a captain. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a councilman in Elk Grove, and um, the assembly opens up. Um, Dr. Richard Pan was the assembly member. He decides to run for the Senate. So I'm like, well, I might as well throw my hat in the ring because I can retire now. I've got 30 years, 30 years of service. So I, I, I start a campaign, and, and Sheriff Lou Blanis um, helps me and gets me involved, gets me engaged, and I run. So right. it's so well, I, we're gonna get to that. Okay. So let me just ask you, and just back to the police. So I, obviously, I've done some research. Yes. So there was a hostage situation that took place in Sacramento, which was huge news all over the world, and that's obviously the good guys hostage thing that happened, inspired a feature film and several television things. But you received a bronze star for that for for bravery, but I cannot find what it is that you did. So I'm hoping that you're going to tell us what got you that bronze star. So anyways, the, the, the real heroes are good guys for the uh, SED team, our SWAT team. Right. Those, those guys went in there and um, there was a good chance that many of them wouldn't have survived and they did. So they're actually the real heroes. So that day we were working um, a day shift assignment that day. So this would have been a SAC PD issue, though, right? Because no, it was a sheriff's issue. Oh, it was your. It was on your ground. It was in the county. Yes, it was. Okay. Yeah, it was the old. Uh, it was the old good guys uh, hostage. I'm sorry, good guys electronic store, kind of like right. a, the predecessor to Best Buy, right? And those things. So um, we're working. It comes out as a robbery in progress, and then you, it starts. You hear more and more and more. So. We roll out there. Uh, the SWAT team was with us already because they were doing the, we were doing by bus. They were making the arrest. So we get there. It, it goes out all day, and um, earlier they, they they give them a vest to, in exchange for a hostage. So um, and there later was 40 on, forty hostages, right? Yeah, for hostages. Yeah. Later on, they want to. They said, "Hey, we're gonna kill a hostage if you don't give us a vest." So since I was in plain clothes, um, I went ahead and, and volunteered to take a vest up there. So I, I go up and, and, and take the vest up and, and uh, throw it in front of the door, and then later on they release a hostage. So when that so they wanted a bulletproof vest. vest. Yeah, they want another one. So I, I throw the vest out. So the hostage, when she comes out to get that vest, that's when the shooting started. Wow. Okay. So on the brighter note, after your law enforcement career, you get into politics, and we've talked about El Grove. And um, then you, well, what was your experience as a mayor? What, what, what happened? Because a new city, obviously here they're about to celebrate 20 years here. Right. Is it the same timeline? It's almost, right? It's almost. Elk Grove's a little bit ahead of 2000, Elk yeah, Grove? 2000. So what sort of things, what are two highlights as a mayor in Elk Grove? To be a city councilman, if you've never done it, there's no, there's no book. No. Especially building a new city from the ground up. Right. Everything is brand new. So it was tough. It was, you know, you're cutting your teeth. And, and back then, 
So I wanted to, I wanted to be available to the public. So I published my number in the paper, my phone number, my cell phone. You did, so people could call me and tell me what they liked. But you weren't worried about didn't. people you'd put in jail? No, no, I, I really, no, I really wasn't worried about it. And uh, down there, people, local politics is at its best because people like you or, or don't like you, and they tell you during those public comments. Right. So it was, it was really good to learn about business, and I, I learned so much. It made me grow. It made me a much uh, more in-depth person. So it was good to sit right. there for 15 years. And uh, I enjoyed it because, like I said, public, you're right there. You go to events, uh, and you have your pulse on the community. And then you are elected to the California Assembly, representing the 9th California Assembly District. Now I'm going to tell you your record here. After, after, after I spent $1.8 million on that race. You did? So it was, what was ironic is, so obviously I ran against someone. I'm a council member and a current captain in the Sheriff's Department. I run against a retired captain on the Sacramento City Council. Was it amicable? No. No? <laughs> <laughs> so threw the police thing away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now you're competitors. Well, let me tell you your record. Do you know how, how the margins that you would do you remember? No. Okay, so 2014, you win by 10 points over your opponent. 2016, you win by 33 points. 2018, you win by almost 40 points. And 2020, you win by 35 points. So that's impressive. No, it's not, because you know what the thing about that is? You can have Are someone, you being modest? No, or? I'm not. You can no. have someone run against you in, in several races. I had someone run against me that all they did was put their name on the ballot. They never ran a campaign. Oh, I see. Didn't do anything. Yeah. Because some people don't want to vote so for being the incumbent. Humble. So it's just I'm, yeah. just, I'm being honest. So. so so, what made you run for state assembly? Um, God, just my experience. Yeah. To, to come in there, a law enforcement officer and, you know, city councilman. Had you left the police by now? No, I was no. You I still? ran. I, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't retire until I the I, I retired ten days after the election. So which 2014? 2014. Yeah, on November fourth. I think November tenth. Yeah. Right. So during your six years at the assembly, eight, what, eight years. I'm don't, sorry. Don't shortchange me. No, no, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> I have eight here. Right. During your eight years at the assembly, what were some of the accomplishments that you're most proud of? So tell us. And I've read, and I know what they are, but tell us two or three. I would say the biggest thing is um, having an impact, educating my fellow um, assembly members and, 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 and senators for that matter, and really played a lot of defense because um, every year there's probably about 3,000 bills introduced. And i got to ask you, are there really 3,000 uh, new good ideas or laws? For the most part, no. And that, that's been a big issue. So um, played a lot of defense to try and make bad bills not as bad. And, and to water them down in some forms. And that's what it was because people, I mean, obviously half the legislature is from L.A. There's different politics in L.A., different climate in L.A. and the Bay Area. So they want to do a one-size-fits-all approach to right. legislation, which doesn't work. And I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, there was a bill to this era reform. They wanted to um, basically um, erase, expunge all misdemeanor arrests from people. And, and I, I believe in second chances and things with that. And so this bill was on the floor, and I had to point out on the floor before the bill was about to get passed, possibly, that, okay, I, I get it, I support it, but you can have a misdemeanor child annoyance where someone touched a kid on the outside of their clothing, and that would get expunged, among other things. So in, in their haste to do these reforms, it wasn't really fully cooked on that. And it, we, we ended up killing the bill on the floor. And it was tough, but you know things like that, being able to draw that law enforcement knowledge right. to deal with that. And you think about it, there were 140 uh, members there. I'm sorry, 120, 80 in the uh, assembly, 40 in the Senate, and there were only two retired peace officers. So it was uh, all, all, a lot on the time talking about those things. And what I relished most is probably um, killing bad bills that would have impacted our citizens here in California negatively impacted them. So law enforcement issues, when they came up, that, that would have been your thing, right? Yes. That, yep. that, that was my wheelhouse, among other issues. I yeah. mean, I was I was really involved in the uh, the fossil fuel issue, um, electric vehicles. So uh, uh, kind of a hodgepodge of things. And, uh, and I think, were you... 
did you champion like domestic violence kind of issues? Yeah. Did you champion those? Here, here's what's crazy right now. This is this is this is insane. I tried to change change this, and and couldn't. So right now in California, these crimes are felonies, but they're not considered violent crimes. So when a, there's a category in the penal code of crimes that are considered violent crimes, if they're nonviolent crimes, you're eligible for early release. You get out early. So raping and drugging a woman is not a nonviolent crime in California. It's a nonviolent crime. Nonviolent, yes, a felony, but nonviolent. Uh, um, human trafficking of a child is a nonviolent crime. Think about all the money and bills they talk about human trafficking. Uh, raping someone developmentally disabled, drive-by shooting. A nonviolent? Domestic violence, nonviolent. So if the laws were changed, which I tried to, and, and they made them violent felonies, all that would happen is you wouldn't get out early. You wouldn't be eligible for early release. But and who stops that? The state senate? Who's fighting you? Members of the legislature. Yeah. Uh, Senate and Assembly. Wow. That's the problem. They don't want any new laws that puts anybody in jail or prison. And right now in our jails, we there there are no low-level offenders. There are no misdemeanor offenders. It is all violent felony offenders and sexual offenders. Wow. So it, it is it is insane. When you talk to the people about it, they're like, yeah, that's something's wrong there. Yeah, very wrong. And you didn't, so from the Assembly, you didn't aspire to Senate? You know, I, I was asked to run for the Senate because um, um, obviously this year Dr. Penn got termed out. Um, I have a lot of folks approach me to run for that Senate seat. And I, you know, I'd been there eight years in the legislature. I've battled people. I, I've gotten along with people. I've, I've dealt with the governors, talked with the governors personally. So I had done as much as I could do. I had four more years. Right. But you always leave while the party's good. But did you have your eye on the sheriff? I, I did. You I did. did. So I, actually what happened, I ran in, when I was in the sheriff's department, I ran in 2010. I ran against and Scott lost, Jones. Right, yes. Yeah. And I lost by less than 1%. Yeah. And then I worked four more years for Scott Jones. Right. But that was okay. Yeah. But it was good. And then, you know, I'm thinking, you know, should I run? Because I, I've got this great experience. And as a sheriff, you're, you're there, you're the chief law enforcement officer, and you can have a greater impact on the county as a sheriff versus being a legislator and assemblyman, I'm one of 120. You know, and you're getting those bills passed, you're going through two houses, you're going through multiple committees, and you're hoping the governor signs your bill. So I've had bills signed by the governor, I've had bills vetoed from the governor. So I mean, I, I, there's not, I had four more years, I'd pretty much done it all. Right. So you ran against Jim Barnes, right? Yes. Now, did he fight you before I told you what you beat him by? He tried. he tried. Okay, well, you beat him by 10 points. Anytime you beat by double digits in a political race, that's a butt whipping. Yeah. So you, just, just saying from my political right. experience. So you did well there. Mm -hmm. When you ran for sheriff, you cited two issues that were important to you, homelessness and illegal guns. And homelessness is something on this podcast that we talk about a lot. Right. I'm passionate about homelessness. The two guys who work here, I think young people seem to be more into the homeless issue than older people are i found right you know um the problem of the unhoused in obviously nationwide is huge california it's huge and sacramento has its problems right it said there are 130,000 homeless people in california 70 percent of which are either mentally ill or suffering from substance abuse right for you, homeless issues are a priority, and I get why. Police officers are usually the first line of contact with the unhoused. So the question I have, how do you expect your officers to deal with the unhoused, and in particular those who may be mentally ill and don't really comprehend the plight they're in? And I ask you this for this. You see sometimes the police contacting homeless, and it doesn't look very sympathetic from the outside. I mean... You, you can never, if you're in the conversation, but from the outside, it doesn't. It doesn't look sympathetic. So how do you expect your officers to deal with homeless issues? Uh, I expect them to be compassionate and firm. California has spent over $20 million on right. homelessness. Billion. Twenty. I'm sorry, $20 billion, billion, You're correct. Yeah. $20 billion. It's gotten worse. What the heck? I know. It has gotten worse. That's over $100,000 per person. Yeah. You cannot build your way out of this. And, and the advocates for so long, it was housing, housing, housing. 
And number one, if you have a mental illness, you can't make a decision that you want housing no. and, and support services. And if you're on drugs, if or you're on drugs yeah. or substance abuse, it's hard to make the decision. Of you don't course. want to follow the rules. So what, what's ironic is, and the people that are in the business that do it on a regular basis, there's a large segment that don't want help. Right. Which is the crazy part about it. Right. And but no one wants to deal with that. Um, if I skin my knee or I get my throat sore, I can go to the med clinic. I can go to the walk-in emergency clinic. If I'm having a mental health crisis, where can I go? There's nowhere to go. I want to get off drugs. I got a severe drug addiction problem. There is nowhere to go. If you've got benefits, you can go, but it's very expensive, upwards of $30,000, extremely expensive. So until we do something about that, it is not going to change. And think about this. When you talk conservatorship, you're a pariah. Conservatorship? How, my God, how can we do that? People would rather have someone walking around outside, naked in the middle of traffic, in freezing weather, so they can have their freedom. That is crazy. That is insane. And for some of these folks are, are driving this. They don't want anything done with that. So until we really address those issues, it's not going to change. And, and it has to happen. And for some folks, if they're on medication, they're getting treatment, they, they can get normal. But it shouldn't take someone to go to jail to do that. You have to have services out there in the communities that treat mental illness and substance abuse. And the problem is, drug court went away. Before, if you went to court, you got arrested for a drug issue, the judge would say, okay, hey, I want you to get cleaned up. And once you get cleaned up, we'll expunge your record. Right. So right, drug court went away. Right. No one goes to drug court anymore right. unless they want their record expunged. So we had Senator Nilo here yesterday. Do you know him? Yes, know yeah. him very well. Good man. He is a big proponent of drug court, and we talked about that. Right. Have you seen drug court in action? Yeah, it works. And it works? It works. So basically, I get arrested for a drug offense. I go to court. The judge says, you're going to go to rehab or you're going to go to jail. If you go to rehab and you complete everything, we're going to expunge. And if you don't complete it or you reoffend, you're going straight to jail. Yeah, and it worked. That, that's the that's the carrot and the stick. It, it, it worked. It was tremendous, but it's gone away. So right now, if someone goes to drug court, it's because they want their record expunged. Majority of folks, I don't care. I don't want my record expunged. But the legislature, the makeup right now, and it's been that way for a long time, they will not pass any new laws that puts anybody in jail or prison. And you got to deal with that. Look at our yeah. retail theft. Yeah, yeah. You go to the grocery store, everything's locked up. Right. Even the retail. I want and razor if blades. Steal, if you steal eight hundred dollars, they're not even going to call the police, right? It is nine fifty. I know it's so, nine fifty. So as long as long as you stay below nine fifty, you can do that twenty, thirty times a day. You will not go to jail. The most you'll get is okay, a citation. Okay, so the, the storekeeper calls the police, and the right. police do they even go? No, in most cases, no. They don't go. No. They it, say it how much? So much. They always stole a bottle of whiskey. And, and let's be honest, most of your retailers. They have a non-confrontation policy. So if someone comes in and does that, they just let them go. They're not going to confront them. And so I asked. So um, I'll, 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 I'll say it. Target, Walmart, Best Buy, Home Depot, Lowe's, all those organizations. And they had a chance to change the law. And they didn't change the law. They're because that, they, they, no, they, they just write it off and, and charge the consumers. They had a chance to change it, but they didn't want to be seen as being anti-reform. Which, at the end of the day, you know, we're all paying higher prices as consumers. Uh, Senator Nilo is a very big law, and law enforcement proponent. Um, we talked about the whole, like you see now, people just walk into, like 10 guys walk into Target, help themselves, and just walk out. Yeah. The police, surely the police would deal with that, no? Yeah, but, but it, the scale it's on is, is it's a large scale, a very large scale. It happens after the fact. We'll get a call, but these stores— So they go in and out quickly. They go in and out, yeah. yeah. But the retailers didn't do anything about it. There was a ballot, Prop 20 in, in 2020, on the ballot that we had a chance to, to turn back, turn right. that back. Uh, the grocers were great. They gave $2 million. It was my initiative, and it was in G Governor Brown, and we were at odds. But I raised $2 million and got it qualified and put it on the ballot. But then the problem is when you have Mark Zuckerberg— fund $2 million against the ballot, and then uh, some of the folks from Netflix fund $2 million. It Why? makes it tough. Why? Which ballot was this? I'm it sorry. Was, it was Prop 20. But which was what? It, it, um, it would have changed the violent crimes. I talked about earlier and made those crimes violent. But why was Zuckerberg and Netflix, I, what, what's a, it got to do with them? That's a good question. Whoa. Yeah. So it, that it's is interesting. very yeah. odd. 
Yeah, and so it dealt with a serious and violent crime. It dealt with a theft issue. Uh, we had a parolee that killed a, a police officer down in uh, Southern California. He he was violated nine times. Yeah, and all it said is, hey, after your third violation as a parolee, you have to go back and see the judge. But that wasn't palatable some, yeah, for crazy. some folks. Yeah. I, I don't get it. And then it, and then it was a, it was a D, the DNA issue from Prop Forty Seven. So going back to the homeless thing, um, how how you listen? You've been you got you've been a cop for a long time, so you've seen it firsthand, and you've been a politician, and you've heard everything. How do you solve homelessness? How do we stop seeing human beings? under whatever you, you look it looks like trash where they're lying there you don't even know if there's a human being under it you just happen right. to see it move how do you stop that you how do to, you fix it you have to have conservatorship for our most gravely disabled you have to have conservatorship. so you take them and take take them and, and take conservatorship of them take care of them um get them on medication hopefully they, they get okay and normal where they can function maybe you're going to take care of them the rest of their lives but i would argue leaving them on the streets to waste away is not okay. It's no, not humane. It is not, it's, no. it's inhumane. I agree. So number you. one, deal with the most gravely ill, and then get a rehab program. Because you think about it, with the substance abuse, drug dealing is rampant in homeless camps. Sexual assault is rampant in homeless right. camps. The young lady killed in Rancho Cordova by s someone that was homeless. Right. So it, it's an issue. And, and but how? Say something. I uh, puzzles me. How do they get the money for the drugs? Through theft. Through theft. Oh. That's, that's the whole thing with the theft issue. Oh, I see. Through theft. So the homeless guy will go and steal something and sell it, and that's the money for the drugs. Yeah. Okay. Or whatever money they get, they're getting money through general assistance, so whatever money they have, it, it, goes, goes, to it goes towards drugs, yeah. And, and drugs are the hardest thing to get off of. Yeah. And just with, with issues with fentanyl, all the deaths behind yeah, fentanyl. Yeah, yeah. No, but what, if we increase the penalty for a fentanyl dinner, dealer, no. So it's, it's, it's a head-scratcher. Yeah. You're responsible for two jails in the region, and of course, this is where they're taken, right? They're taken right. to the jail. The hospitals don't want them. The hospitals kick them out as quick as they can. So now the police are deaf dealing with the issue, and the jail becomes a de facto rehab facility. So what challenges does that bring the officers in the jails, many of which I suspect are not trained in either mental issues or substance abuse? So I'm off my head. I've got nowhere to go. I'm a little crazy. And off I go to jail. Now what? What happens? Think about the county jails. County jails were made for pretrial. Yeah. So the, the jail downtown on I Street, that was a pretrial. That's a pretrial jail. Right. For folks awaiting to go to court right. to be sentenced to plead out. Our jail in El Grove was for sentenced inmates. So when you were sentenced to county jail before Prop 47, you were sentenced to, I'm sorry, before AB 109, you were sentenced to more, no more than a year in the county jail. So you might be in, maybe you had a high-profile murder case and it took two years to go to trial. Okay, you're waiting two years, but once people were sentenced, it was no more than a year in the county jail. And you go to prison. And then you go to prison. Right. Now with AB 109, we have people sentenced to county jail for up to a dozen years. 12 years? Yes. Huh. County jails were not made for rehabilitation. You don't have the physical space, you have the limitations. It wasn't like the state prisons. Hell, in county jail, you can't buy your own TV. State prison, you can get your own TV for yourself. So you have a lot more freedoms. And isn't it dorms in county jail? Yeah. It's all dorms, well, no, right? dor well, It's a mixture of dorms and cells. So it, it, it's tougher, but they were never, ever made for long-term commitments. And that's the problem. The state got sued, and that's why they pushed all those inmates through AB 109 down to the county jails. Now the counties are being sued. Here's something ironic. The old DJJ... Uh, is now the former Youth Authority, um, Department of Ju Juvenile Justice, was this old CYA. They're closing those this year. So they have an award-winning sex offender program for juveniles. I mean, award-winning because CDCR got sued. It's been in effect for many, many years. So now these juveniles who are up to 26 years old, grown men, are going to be in our juvenile halls. They'll be here in Sacramento County that are sex offenders. The counties cannot replicate the program the state has for sex offenders. So what happens to these kids? They don't get fixed. They don't get rehabilitated. And for a small counties, rural counties, even Sacramento County, you can't stand up that staff. It is very um, labor-intensive, cost-intensive to stand up to it. L.A. can maybe, but the rest of the state can't. So now these juvenile offenders are going to be repeat offenders.
because they aren't getting the help they get because the state shirked the responsibility. What do you think about the cash bail situation? Obviously, the Supreme Court said no more cash bail. Do you think it's, I'll tell you my opinion. If, um, if I get arrested and I have to post a $5,000 bail, so I pay 500 or pay it, I could do that. Right. But if someone who comes from a poor family, they find themselves arrested, they're not criminals, they just find themselves arrested. They, they make a bad choice or they just find themselves. Mom and dad can't pay it, they can't pay it, now they sit in jail. What, what's the issue with that? That's a lot of inside baseball information. Think about Sacramento County, close to two million people. The main jail downtown um, holds about 2,400 inmates, right? And that population's 1,100 inmates. So they book 20,000 people in a year into that jail. 20,000 out of a county of close to 2 million. The vast majority go in and go out. It only holds a, we're only holding 1,100 right now. So if you get arrested, in most cases, you're going to be released on your own recognizance or on bail. Oh, you do? Yeah, you get released. And the judges OR a lot of people that have, everybody's got a bail, but judges OR a lot of people. So you don't want to hold people in jail? No, we, we try and kick them out. Yeah. The problem is the ones that are kept have serious charges, parole or probation violation, maybe a sex offender. So the people are there are the worst of the worst. Okay. And that's really the big issue. And think about this. So mo most folks get released. Part of this problem is, is the number of FTAs, failures to appear. You go to the dentist, here's your visit, your appointment date, show up for your next appointment. A lot of people just don't show up for court. They don't care. Right. They skip court and miss court. So we talk about FTAs, failures to appear. And then the really big issue, and I'm going to throw the judges under the bus, um, there are 58 counties. If you commit the, the crime of robbery, it's the same under the penal code in every county. They have a different bail schedule for every county. So one county, the robbery could be $20,000, and next county could be $50,000. So that's an issue with our, with our judicial courts. Right. Setting a, they should have a uniform bail schedule, but... That hasn't been done. I tried to pass a bill in the legislature, couldn't get it passed. So it's issues like that that really frustrate right, you. Right. But it should be one uniform bail schedule. But regardless, the vast majority of the public will never get arrested, will never go to jail. And the folks there average five felony convictions. So, you know, hey, my first time, I was in the wrong place, wrong time. That's not true in about 99.9% .9 of the cases. So I have just a few more questions. Should we tell your your aide he'll, that he'll, you're okay? He'll, he'll, he'll wait. He'll be okay? Because yeah. he told me one hour. He'll, he'll be okay. Okay. The other issue you ran on was the illegal guns issue. Yes. Uh, California, as we know, have the toughest or some of the toughest gun laws in the country. So the two questions, given that fact, why does California have these problems? And second, you're the sheriff, the police chief. What can you do about it? Well, number one, they don't want to hold bad guys accountable, especially for ghost guns. And we're seeing that being produced, these gang members. The shooting down on K Street, those folks were all on probation or parole. They were prohibited from carrying guns. And they're carrying them anyways because right now the penalties don't really amount to anything. They have basically no fear. So I tried to pass laws in the legislature to toughen those gun um, crimes against those individuals that were prohibited couldn't get it through because of the makeup of the legislature and that's really what it comes down to the gun violence is rampant right now and we've got it you've got to hammer these people and no offense or buts about it um i'm going to stand up a gun violence task force to go after these folks and most of them are gang members the vast majority not not um your average citizen who has a concealed weapons permit they are bad guys that are carrying these guns and they'll shoot you just as soon look at you well, of course but you, you were a politician, you're a legislator, so you're trying to pass this law. Yeah. So I'm anti, and you're, so you come to me. Right. You go, hey, Charles, look, right? what is, what do they tell you why they don't want, what, what is the reasoning privately? They just don't they want, they don't want any laws passed or be a part of it that puts anybody in jail or prison. That's what it comes down to. And some of those folks don't want anybody in jail or prison at all. That, that's what it comes down to. One, 100%. For what reason, though? Philosophical. Okay. Okay, so switching gears, I've read that you have 200 vacancies. Is that about, yeah, about, about right? Yeah, about 100 sworn and 100 non-sworn. 
This is a common problem I've read across many police departments in this country right now. Chief Luke actually said that to me. I yes. said, what is the biggest issue facing the Sacramento, like I asked you, and he said recruitment for him. Yes. Um, so being a police officer is a worthwhile job. I don't really get it. You, you help people. Citizens come to you when they need help. Um, if there's a problem, everybody's running that way. Cops are running this way. It's well paid. Right. You get benefits. What is the problem? Why are departments having these recruiting issues right now? I have an idea, and my next question will probably go to that. But as the chief executive, why is that, do you think? I think law enforcement has been vilified over the years. You know, they're, they're, um, law enforcement officers are human. There have been some um, mistakes made by officers. And uh, you can do a thousand good things, but, you know, one bad thing exactly. really, really changes it. So really, it's who wants to be a, a cop? And these days, think about this. When you call my deputies or anybody in law enforcement, you're calling them because something's wrong. Exactly. You're not you're having not a good day. You're not calling to a birthday party. Exactly. You're not a birthday party. Yeah. You're dealing with the, the, the humanity at its worst sometimes. Yeah. And it, it's a tough job. And, you know, it, it's, you know, who wants to put up with it? And you can sit behind a desk and have a much easier job. But at the same time, it's a very fulfilling job. Yeah. You can have a, an instant impact on someone's life and really and be that change maker. But, yeah, it's tough to, to get in that job. And just the, the whole, even not just law enforcement, even fast food, everyone's having a hard time hiring because it's a different mindset. I think my generation, um, we live to work. This generation works to live. It's more important about their time off and doing other things than, than the job. And the same dedication for some of them is not there. So it's a morale issue. How would you describe morale in your department? after the, the profiles of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Freddie Gray and others, which spurred the Black Lives Matter movement and then the defund the police, whatever the hell that means, defund right, the police. Right. What's the morale like for the, in, for the cop on the street? I, I think it's pretty good. A lot of these officers grew up in that or, or came on and were hired during these times. So they have a, a di different view of, of, of how to be a law enforcement officer. So I, I think it has changed it. I've seen, I think you've seen a de-policing in America where some officers just go to the calls they're dispatched to. There's nothing proactive. When I was working in gangs and, and working those units, we'd go out and be proactive and stop people and contact people. Um, the people that we knew um, through my training and expertise who were involved in those trades. I don't think you see that as much. Right. Because the thing is, someone wants now to avoid it. Now they just go if they have to. Yeah, yeah they want to avoid a confrontation exactly. because you Which may is be, a, it's not. It's not good for anybody. No, no. You may be justified in stopping somebody, you know, but then I'm, gonna, I'm not going to, Right. You know, be argumentative. I want to let them go because a lot of the people are in your face now, and they, yeah, and they the really cameras. push back hard. Yeah, and, I think the most tragic case, which really touched me with all this, obviously the guy with George Floyd and the, all that stuff, but the woman, um, the sergeant, I think he was a sergeant, but she had 25 years in the police, and she pulled out her gun instead of her taser, right, and shot that guy, right. I mean, to me, that was obviously a mistake. There's no way she pulled down her gun and shot him. It was 100%. And she went to jail. Yes. I mean, that cannot be good, right, for, for the cop on the street to see that happen. I don't think she should have gone to jail. Right. I mean, it was very tragic. Right. Maybe get fired, but go to jail on yeah. Christmas, like two days before Christmas. Yeah. She made a mistake, no, undoubtedly. It was but a, definitely a mistake. That's one of the things that we have in this job. We're, we're entrusted with the public's confidence. And right. We can't uh, betray that confidence or make mistakes like that. It, it, it's literally a life or death job. So you want to make sure you're trained to the highest level. And what's interesting, uh, most of those cases happen in other states, not in California. So one thing, it, it can, one bad thing can happen somewhere else, and it impacts all of uh, all of us in the, in the nation. So the media these days are full of stories with the police of systemic racism within departments. Do you? First of all, do you believe, and you're very experienced, do you believe there is systemic racism within the police? And if so, if, if it happened in your department, how do you deal with it? I, I think it's more more bias, just cultural bias, mm -hmm. and it really th through education. And not everybody. I worked with a lot of good people over the years, and we have a lot of good men and women in our agency. But really trying to educate people and, and have a diverse workforce. So I think there are a lot of things to, to do with that. And I think the media has made it tougher to hire people, you know. So uh, you're, we're trying to balance that out. And I'm going to begin a um, very robust recruiting program to get some folks in. But how do you deal with something? Are, are you 
nowadays something happens, boom, they're fired. Right. Like right away. How do you deal with that? Well, you, you take it head on. Obviously, if someone's um, doing something they shouldn't be doing, we don't need them in law enforcement. Yeah. We, we want to weed out the bad apples, and unfortunately, there are not a lot of bad apples. Um, you're doing the cops few, make mistakes, right? People make mistakes yeah. every day. It doesn't matter what it is. And you, you just got to be day. careful and confident <laughs> and really and really train those people and make sure they're trained to the best of their ability. And they're going to make mistakes, yeah. bottom line. It's not artificial intelligence here. Right. I'm getting to the end here. But as a, okay. large, as a leader of a large police department that borders other large police departments, SAC PD, Elk Grove is pretty big, and all these, you know, you have all the cities. So what's your connection? Like, do you talk to each other? Do you we call do. the SAC chief? She's coming here, by the way. Oh, I love her. Yeah. Cordova girl. She, she is. She, that's she, why, Cordova that's why, product. That's why she's coming. And yeah. we're, ta we're taking over. Yeah. Yeah. Go Lancers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but do you talk to her? Do you talk to Folsom chief? Obviously, you talk to Luke, uh, Brandon Luke. But do you? is that a thing? Do your command staff talk to their commands? Meaning, are all cops in the region... Are they all in sync with each other? We, we have regional meetings. Yeah. 100% absolutely. Because I think you would have to be in sync, yeah. right? And, and obviously there's different politics and different departments, and you're dealing with city councils and governing bodies they have to deal with. So, you know, it's one of those things you recognize that, but you still, I think we do have that common thread and we come together. Um, here at the California Capitol Film Office, we're about to start a program with Rancho PD PAL, and we're going to teach kids how to make PSAs, Right. With cameras and from concept to delivery. So we'll teach them how to develop. It's a 14-week course. Oh, cool. So I've become very familiar with the work of PAL and school resource officers and the kids and the community. So as the sheriff, as the leader, how important is it to you to reach young people through these programs? And do you support the officers who do that job? And do you personally take an active role in the programs? And it, it's. I would imagine it's important for the police to immediately have a good relationship with young people, right? Because sure, like if you show them that you're not what you see on TV, so how important is that to you? Well, that wasn't just one question. That was like nine. That was ten questions. That was ten yeah. questions. I was gonna say nine, but yeah. no, no, it's very important. Yeah. There, there are youth, and you really want to talk to them and have that bridge. Um, the PAL and South programs are great. The school resource officers, and what's ironic. Some folks don't want officers in schools, which is crazy. It's crazy. Crazy. But it, it really works in getting out there and, and, and that prevention. Like I said, you, I think you do have a school-to-prison pipeline, and you want to stop that and really educate these kids. Um, some parents are good at raising their kids, and they take responsibility. Some parents aren't that good. So we're going to pay for it one way or the other. So if we can be involved and get that intervention so you support PAL? Oh, 100%. Great, yeah. great programs. Anything that we do for our kids – to, to, to make their lives better. You know, and just like I said, if you're not reading at third grade level, by the time you're in third grade, you're probably going to fail. Right. That is insane. Right. So we want to prevent that and do what we can. I think that's a great program for the kids. Anything we can do because, you know, back in the day when I grew up out here, um, there were no really deadly consequences. These days, you have deadly consequences. Yeah. So the more we can educate our kids and give them safe programs and educational opportunities, I, I support fully. Well, we do two programs. We do the PSA one. Right. And then we have another one called A Day in the Life, where we teach them to make a short film. Right. So a day in the life of the Sacramento sheriff. Right. Or a day in the life of their principal or whatever. Sure. And we have all the equipment, and we we want to do it with SAC. Okay. Uh, with the SAC sheriff's office, by we, the way. We would love to do it. Yeah. Um, so on the subject of school resource officers, are you familiar with um, Tracy Jacobs? Do you know who she is? Yeah, she, uh, she lives by me in Elk Grove. I, I yeah. know her very well. So I'm going to just give her a plug. Right. Because in my mind, she's one of the – she is what police officer should be. I met her for the first time at City Hall about three years ago. Right. She didn't know me. I didn't know her. She was just there with a bunch of kids. And I thought, wow, is that was she a she a cop? It was unbelievable. And then I got to know her, and um, she got promoted to sergeant. And then you get reassigned, right, back to the jails. I just I just swore her son in as a deputy. You did on December sixteenth, yeah. So Sheriff Cooper, she needs to come back to Rancho Cordova because this city loves her, right? And she's good. She and is. She knows a lot of people. So my <laughs> plug and my thing is. Uh, Deputy or oh, Sergeant Jacobs right. needs to be back in Rancho. 
we love our good people too. We want to share them. Yeah. So if, if she has a desire to come back, she can obviously yeah. and apply because uh, uh, RCPD does select their own officers and, yeah. and their supervisors. She's so, very popular. Here. Yeah, she is very popular, and that's that, that's what frustrates me is that you know here's a woman that's done a great job, yeah. a mother, and has formed a bond with those kids at Cordova High School, and yet you have folks in our town in our cities that don't want school resource officers it's there. It's crazy. It is, it is crazy. Yeah. Have you yeah. seen her do the 40? I, I've seen her do that. that? I can't, the kids I can't line do up. one. Yeah, they line the up. The kids line up for it. Yeah, it, 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 it has an impact, and you never know what impact. I mean, maybe some of those kids, she's has saved their lives. You really never know, but she's out there doing that job day in and day out. Yeah. Well, Sheriff Cooper, we're almost at the end of the show, and as we come to a close, let me ask you, what are, what are your hopes for your department, the department you lead, and what do you want to accomplish in your term? Well, I think, number one, more transparency and, and really have a bond with the community and work out there. It's important to me um, to be involved, to be engaged. My passions are youth. I want to commit uh, a tremendous amount of resources out there to our youth to give them a chance because I believe every kid deserves a chance. Um, I had great parents growing up. Um, the Rancher Cordova community made me who I am. I worked for a, I played for a lot of good coaches that gave me confidence. Um, so you know, obviously, I would not be in the position I am where I sit here today uh, without my parents and without growing up here in the Rancho Cordova area that made me. I mean, I'm Cordova born, Cordova proud, and uh, I just can't say enough about the community. It it, it is a gem, yeah. and I think one of the best things they ever did was form their own police department. Uh, I'm very proud, very supportive, and look forward to continuing that strong bond. And the last main question, because I just have two or three little questions. I know you've just started this job, and you're a young guy. I know how old you are, and you don't look as old as you well, are. I'm old. <laughs> no, but you don't look it. Class of 82, I had my 40-year reunion this year. Yeah, you do? We had it. Oh, uh, yeah. Last year, I'm sorry, we had it last year Yeah. at the Marriott. Right. Yeah. And you've accomplished a lot in your life. So what's next for Jim Cooper? And now, do you think you'll get back into politics, higher office? Um. You seem to do very well every time you run, or are you now, I'm the sheriff. Can, how long can you be the sheriff? Is there terms? No term limits. No term, okay. So you think, okay, I'll be the sheriff for the next 20 years, or I'll do that, and then maybe I will be a state senator, or maybe I'll be the U.S. congressman. Like, what is your thing? You know what? I, I have more one ray behind me than I do ahead of me. So, um, you know, I realize I got, I got a grandson that's six months old who I love very dearly, Zeke. Don't cry when I hold you. Um, so, <laughs> so um, you know, at, at some point, I mean, man, I've missed birthdays. I've missed a lot of events over the years. Uh, with, with, you know, so you're settled my, now. Yeah, 30, over 30 years in law enforcement, 22 years in politics. And um, I'm, I'm in a happy place right yeah. now. But this, is, this, this may be the end. I, I'm, you know, I'm not yeah. saying I never rule anything out. But right. You know, but you're happy as a sheriff? Yeah, I'm, I'm happy. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy. I, I, I would imagine you ran, you worked there for 30 years, and now you're the boss. I, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, it is. It, yeah. It, it is different. It's, it's very different times. It's um, I, I've been gone eight years. Very, very different. Yeah. Different department, different times. So that's my challenge. So we always end these shows, and you've never heard one, but if you do, you would know. We end with a quick fire questions. Sure. Just fun questions. So can I tempt you with them? There's five of them. Sure. Okay. So what is one word that best describes you? Uh, God. One word that best describes me. Shall I ask your aid? <laughs> he might Let's say see what he that. says. <laughs> um, driven. Driven? What if, if you could be one person for a day besides yourself, who would it be and why? Um, God, who would I be? Um, my mom, she had a rough life growing up, lost her, both of her parents before she was 10. Wow. And to, to, to do what she did and, and raise the four of us. She's still um, around? No, no. She, she died yeah. two years ago this month. Yeah. So yeah. really had an impact on, yeah. on, on the person I am. Okay. What is your biggest pet peeve? Pet peeve? Yeah. People that litter, litter bugs. Yeah. Yes. 
So you were giving tickets to anybody trying yes. something, yeah? We, we have a beautiful state, and people wow. just live like crazy. Yeah. It's gotten worse during COVID. I think, listen, I see people throw trash out of the car all the time, and I think, like that, they, yeah. they, they should get pulled over and get a ticket. And get a big ticket. Yeah. Do you have any hidden talents? Um, I'm, I'm kind of a jokester. Yeah. A smack I talker. Yeah. yeah I, I talk to some, some pretty so good comedian. smack. Comedian, yeah. Comedian. He knows I'm a comedian. Yeah. <laughs> And what project are you working on today that you can't stop thinking about? Uh, correctional health care at the jail. Yeah. Making sure we take care of our inmate population. I've got a meeting today on that. And last question, what advice would you give a young person, maybe a high schooler, with aspirations to become a law enforcement officer? It's not where you start. It's where you finish. Be ambitious. For, for young, I tell young kids this. Think highly of yourself. You know, you, you have to be that way. And, you know, you're going to get knocked down sometimes you got to get back up but it's a great career it's a great opportunity you can go out and help people and really make a difference and change lives and it's very fulfilling and it, it, it's it's just it, it doesn't get any better than that and then being that and seeing that look on someone's face where you've actually helped them yeah. and made their day better that's that's invaluable yeah sheriff cooper i cannot tell you how grateful i am that you came here i definitely and listen i understand how busy you are and everything that you have going on and the fact that you took time to sit here with us for an hour is I'm very very grateful thank you go answers <laughs> so we've been speaking with Sheriff Jim Cooper the newly elected Sacramento County Sheriff um, thank you for listening to the Rancho Cordova podcast <laughs>